mindfulness mode. And what that does is it opens you to receive more blessings. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. You know, Mindful Tribe, on our show, we talk a lot about succeeding and moving forward and mindset, but we also talk about suffering and how a lot of my guests say, you know, in order to move forward, you have to suffer. And this comes out in one way or another. Well, today, we're talking about an amazing book that is called, You Were Not Born to Suffer. And so this is a little bit of a different slant about suffering, but it's going to be a fascinating conversation. And I'm so excited to have the author of this terrific book here, Blake D. Bauer. Blake, are you in mindfulness mode today? Always, Bruce. Thank you so much. I try and, you know, um, live my life every day as much as I as I possibly can in that mode. And uh, I'm grateful that I have the tools to do so. Well, I'm grateful that you're doing what you do in the world. And I know that each year you help thousands and thousands of people who can't find effective support from just conventional psychology or medicine or religion. And so that you work with so many people. You're a world-renowned teacher and speaker with an extensive background in psychology, alternative medicine, nutrition, traditional healing, and mindfulness meditation. So you've got so much there to help people with. And so, you know, it's really fascinating to be able to talk about this incredible book, You Were Not Born to Suffer. First though, Blake, tell us what mindfulness means to you. Well, that is a loaded question, Bruce. Um, And I thought a little bit about this before the interview. And for me, it really became my everything. Because when I first uh, learned about and started practicing meditation, I was 18 and I was tortured psychologically and emotionally to the point where when I woke up every morning, I was very paralyzed by my thoughts and my anxiety and insecurity and paranoia from uh, extreme drug and alcohol abuse in my, in my teenage years. And so mindfulness really became the foundation for my life because I needed something to help me be present and to function and find my way through life as a, as a young man. And so now when I ask myself, what does mindfulness mean to me? It is a bridge for me and and proved to be a bridge for me into learning how to relate to myself with unconditional love, acceptance, kindness, and honesty. So mindfulness for me, it, it was the key and the pathway to an unconditional love and kindness for myself, which then became the doorway and the pathway to everything else that I wanted and needed in life in terms of healing my heart, healing my suffering, and then understanding how to intentionally and mindfully and consciously make choices and engage in activities that represented a healthy life and creating the life that I wanted to live, a life that felt healthy, that felt good, that felt aligned with my truth and my integrity and what I found to be my purpose uh, for being here. Well, Blake, your book, You Were Not Born to Suffer, has an incredible subtitle, Love Yourself Back to Inner Peace, Health, Happiness, 
and fulfillment. And Blake, I want to ask you this question. You know, I mentioned in the intro that a lot of a lot of guests on my show talk about suffering and and some of them say, you know, we must suffer in order to move forward. We must go through these challenges in life in order to accomplish what we want to accomplish. Is that true? Your book is called You Were Not Born to Suffer. So what do we have to do to move forward in life? Absolutely, Bruce. Well, so I do think that that's true in some regard. There is a certain amount of suffering that's intrinsic to being a human being and to human existence. But we all allow and create much more suffering than is necessary while being here. And so the key is to understand how to stop hurting yourself and how to stop letting yourself get hurt so that you stop creating more suffering than is necessary. So that suffering is a cry from our soul, our subconscious mind, and from life, asking us to be more aware and to understand how to treat ourselves with more honesty, more kindness, more respect, so that we we don't hurt ourselves with our thoughts, with negative thoughts. We don't hurt ourselves with internalizing our emotions. We don't hurt ourselves with self-destructive behaviors. And then we don't hurt ourselves by putting ourselves in environments or situations or relationships that are toxic or not supportive. And so it really is not that complicated, but because we have experienced so much pain and suffering in our life and we never learn these mindfulness tools at a young age, the result is a lot of us are stuck in our head, lost in our thoughts and very confused And as a result, we keep hurting ourselves, we keep letting ourselves get hurt, and we feel like the victim of negative thought habits, and we don't feel empowered with our mind. We don't know how to use our mind as a tool in the way that a mind and our thinking can be used for for genius and for miracles, like medical devices that save lives or computers or technology that connect us across the world in real time, like you and I are talking right now, or you think about a rocket ship or an airplane or going into outer space. The mind is capable of amazing things, but it also tortures us if we don't learn how to master it and work with it and have a healthy relationship to it. And so that's an integral part of creating less suffering in our life. I love how every chapter starts with the topic of breathing and taking deep breaths. When did you come to the point in your life where you realized that deep breathing was so important? So again, at the age of 18, I discovered yoga and meditation and was in a very dark place at that time. I was very suicidally depressed at that point in my life. Um, I had grown up around a lot of suffering and a lot of drug addiction. And then as a young man, as I mentioned, I got heavily involved in uh, drug addiction with cannabis, pharmaceutical pills, and alcohol. And I really sabotaged my life at a young age and got in trouble with the law. And I was a top athlete and I got myself kicked off the team and really put myself in a bad place. And so my psychological torment was so extreme that I was desperate for relief. And so I just read and searched everywhere I could to find that freedom. And so through practicing yoga and learning to breathe deeply into different parts of my body 
and then I then learning a, a form of Buddhist meditation where you know I would learn to not get carried away by my thoughts and come back to my breathing and come back to my body. I couldn't I couldn't believe how well and how good I started to feel from practicing these practices. And I had a very addictive mind mindset or nature. And so I started practicing meditation in particular every single morning, first for a half hour, then an hour, sometimes two hours. And that's how I would start my day because I just felt, you know, dragged around by the horses in my mind, you know, by those thought patterns. And I knew life wasn't meant to be like this. And I was lucky. I found something very early on that was effective for me. And so I integrated that into my life because it was the only thing that was giving me lasting results. So I got very lucky at 18 to find practices like yoga and meditation that connected me to my breath, which connected me to my center, which connected me to all the feelings I had repressed, and then connected me to the opportunity to heal all those feelings I had repressed. So I like to say, you can't, you have to breathe deeply to feel deeply, and you have to feel deeply to heal deeply. So if you don't breathe as deep as you can throughout the day, you can't feel everything that's going on inside of you and you can't heal all the stuff you've stored in your body from your past. And then I have found from all my work that a lot of our negative or unhealthy thinking are symptoms of repressed emotions. So our mind is screaming because of all of the internalized pain and all the internalized joy and love that is getting suffocated by the pain. Wow, I, I love how well you're able to communicate this. And I think that in our society, we just have such extreme issue with this whole thing. And I wanted to bring up something you already mentioned, and that's about cannabis. And now in Canada and a lot of other places, it's legal. And I noticed that uh, quite a number of young people that I know are kind of turning to cannabis as their drug of choice rather than alcohol or, or others. What would you say to those people? What are the dangers? Why do you think it's not a good idea to... Uh, use cannabis as a way of escaping? Well, I think that in some circumstances, cannabis might be helpful, but not extreme, not all day, every day. You know, I know that, for example, there is amazing work being done on things like epilepsy and anxiety and schizophrenia, for example. And so as an alternative to pharmaceutical chemical pills, it's a wonderful uh, alternative, and it can be a, a wonderful uh, bridge to help you wean off your medication. So if you've been on medications for years, it can be a more natural alternative to help you come off of those pharmaceutical pills. But ultimately, talking to someone who had all these addictions and dependencies and then got clean and then also learned these tools like meditation and Qigong became a big part of my life as well. I experienced such deep levels of peace, clarity, vitality, um, and higher states of consciousness, which a lot of people believe you need some kind of substance to get to, to access these higher states of consciousness, which is not true. And so if you learn how to use your mind and your body and your emotions and your energy in a very mindful, conscious way, 
there are states of consciousness and states of being that feel so good and that are natural and sustainable far more so than any substance could ever give you in the short term. But most of us have never felt that or accessed that. So we don't even believe that what I'm saying could be true. And so the, the, the biggest worry is you don't want to de develop a dependency on anything externally for your sense of well-being or peace or happiness. And each human being has what they need inside of themselves to find peace, to find happiness, to heal anxiety, to heal depression without needing to be dependent on anything external. It's just there's a lot of confusion in terms of how to get there. And that's what, what I think disheartens a lot of people is they, they give up because they think this is not really working for me or this therapist or this doctor doesn't really know what they're talking about. It's not working for me. So I'm just going to go to this. And then we also live in a time of short-term gratification and we all want that quick fix. So if it's not a pill, then we want the cannabis. We want something to take away our problems immediately instead of framing our life as this journey of growing into a stronger, more aware human, human being that's able to overcome obstacles, thrive in the, in the face of challenge, and understand that we have this strength inside of us if we will give ourselves some time and space to cultivate it and, and let it come out. I'm so glad to hear you say this, Blake, because it's exactly what I believe, too. I believe that, you know, it just doesn't work in life to depend on substances. I'd rather depend on nature or depend on exercise, depend on self-assessment. And that's one of the things you offer at the end of every chapter, which I think is fantastic. Every chapter in your book ends with self-assessment questions and exercises. And then plus there are positive affirmations that you include. Let's talk about affirmations. How have they helped you? Well, it's a catch-22. So a lot of us have learned very toxic and very limited thought patterns and habits of thinking. Like, you know, you might have grown up in a family where your parents have a certain belief about life or love or money. You know, something like um, you can't trust anybody or um, money's the root of all evil or money's the key to happiness or... Um, you know, you can't get married just based on love. You have to think practically. So we've all been indoctrinated with specific beliefs from our culture and from our, our family. And often those beliefs are very limiting. So affirmations are very helpful because when you learn a new affirmation, which is really a new thought, when you think something like, I am worthy of healthy love, or I am worthy of finding peace, or I deserve to be happy. Those are healthy thoughts that help you to reprogram your subconscious mind, your nervous system, and literally create new pathways in the brain. So they're wonderful in terms of learning how to choose new thoughts. And that's a really important uh, superpower that we all have that people are not aware of is that you actually choose your thoughts. And if you don't realize that you can choose your thoughts, that means you're just allowing old thoughts to run your life and you're not making a different choice. You're basically continuing to choose the old thoughts that limit you and hold you back. But everybody who's listening, we all have the capacity to choose thoughts based on how they make us feel 
and the direction they lead us in life. So that to me has been one of the most important byproducts of mindfulness in my life was teaching me that I had the capability, the capacity to choose and guide my thoughts based on how they made me feel and where they led me in my life. And then the last part I want to speak to is that affirmations get a bad rap often that they just don't, they don't fix it. They don't do enough. And there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is, for example, Bruce, let's say you and I are in a relationship. Like, let's say we're brothers or friends. And let's say for some reason, I'm scared of expressing my true feelings to you. So let's say sometimes you treat me in a way that I don't feel good about and I feel hurt and I feel angry, but I'm scared to tell you that for some reason. Okay. So in my worldview, when I don't express my feelings because of fear or insecurity or self-doubt, I'm hurting myself and I'm betraying myself. So when I don't tell you how I'm feeling, I am betraying myself and I'm hurting myself. And then let's say I go into a mirror because I have all this hurt now and anger inside of me and I'm trying to heal. And I look in the mirror and I try and say, Blake, I love you and I'm your best friend. Or Blake, you are worthy of the best things in life. Often the subconscious reaction when you say an affirmation to yourself is, no, you don't. I don't believe you. And the reason why our subconscious responds like that is because our subconscious knows that in my relationship with Bruce, I'm betraying myself. So I'm not being good to myself. I'm not loving myself. So what affirmations bring up is where you're still living a lie and where you're still hurting yourself, which is why you don't believe the affirmation and you don't believe yourself when you're trying to affirm something good. So that's where, for me, mindfulness led me to this journey of self-love. The more and more I became present, the more and more I became fully mindful of everything I did all day and every thought that I thought throughout the day, the more I realized that I never learned how to love myself. I never learned how to value myself. And practically speaking, I never learned how to express my feelings, my needs, my desires in a healthy, nonviolent way and then act in integrity with those and then make sure that I took time and space every day to be by myself, to be aware of my inner world, to take care of my mind. And because I never learned how to love myself in this, these ways, my affirmations weren't working. I really, I really like that and appreciate that you shared so much of that in your book. And something else that you shared in your book is about the flow of energy. Let's talk about that. Tell Mindful Tribe your beliefs about the flow of energy. Absolutely. Well, so if we, if we start from a scientific perspective, we know that everything in the universe is made up of atomic energy vibrating at different frequencies. And so our physical body is energy that's vibrating at a slower frequency, whereas the blood in our body is vibrating at a little bit of a faster frequency, which makes it the liquid state in between a gas and a solid, like we learn in chemistry. And then the life inside of us, if you call it your soul or your spirit or your essence or your life force, that is energy that's vibrating at a very fast frequency, which is 
uh, analogous to phrases like traveling at the speed of light, traveling at the speed of sound, because light and sound travel very fast. So in Chinese medicine, one of the foundational principles is that the flow of blood in your body, your circulation is governed by the flow of energy. So energy or chi, as we call it in Chinese medicine, governs the flow of blood circulation in your body. So the best example to think about this is in terms of your the beat of your heart, the electromagnetic pulse and beat of your heart, which causes the muscles in your heart to contract and expand, which is what pumps the blood throughout your body. Once there's no electromagnetic pulse, there's no flow of blood. Everything stops. And so I use this all as a preface to talking about the dynamics of when we're not mindful in particular, when we're not mindful with our thoughts and our emotions, what happens is we internalize our emotions and our emotions are energy. And if you're not mindful throughout the day, you're typically disconnected from your emotions, which means your emotions are just getting repressed further and further into your body, into your subconscious mind. And over days and weeks and months and years and decades often of living mindlessly, it causes the stagnation of energy and blood in the body, which in my experience leads to most forms of physical illness and depression. And then on the psychological side, when you think negative thoughts and you have all this negative self-talk going on inside of you, that also disrupts the flow of energy and blood in your body. It also disrupts you expressing your emotions in healthy ways because if you have a lot of fear-based thinking, it's going to stop you from expressing your emotions, which is going to lead you to internalize all your feelings, which is going to lead to the stagnation of energy and blood, which weakens your immune system, which causes toxic buildup, which causes uh, excess cortisol, stress hormones in your body, all of which have been linked to disease. And so uh, in Chinese medicine, most forms of physical pain, for example, are considered stagnant blood. So we live now in a time where most forms of philosophy and science agree on the fact that everything is energy. And so much has to do with the flow of energy in our body in terms of health and happiness, even the word depressed right? It's you, what do you, when you feel depressed, it, your energy is depressed. Your state of mind is depressed. Your joy is depressed. Your fight, your fire, your life force is depressed. And that's because everything is stagnant inside of us. Blake, I'm curious what your morning routines are. What are some of the first things you do when you get up in the morning? Absolutely. And I thank you for asking, because this is a really important uh, thing. I believe that the thoughts we think in the morning create our day. So if we wake up and our mind is all over the place and we feel anxious and stressed and spread thin or panicked, then when you get out of bed, you're going to be rushing. You're going to be all over the place. You're going to be reacting. And then that's the day that you're going to have and the day that you're going to create. Whereas if you take at least 10 minutes and that's all you really need is 10 minutes of deep breathing meditation where you feel your body and you observe your breathing and you watch your thoughts, you can find a state of being. And so this is what I do in the morning. 
no matter what is on my mind, no matter what thoughts are present, first thing in the morning when I wake up my wake up in the morning, laying in bed, I observe my breathing, I observe my body, and inevitably there are going to be thoughts about my day, about I love coffee, about the coffee I'm going to go have, about my hot shower I'm going to have. But I, I try and focus my attention and my awareness on my breathing and my body. And when my mind begins to wander and I start to think, I come back to my breathing and my body. And so I do that for a period where no matter what thoughts come up, no matter what voices come up, I bring my attention back to my breathing and back to my body. And now I do that for at least 10 minutes every morning. But I used to do that for two hours every morning because I was in a desperate place at that point in my life. And I hadn't yet conditioned my nervous system, my brain, my body, my subconscious for that to be the resting state of being. But after 18 years of these practices, my resting state of consciousness has become one of mindfulness throughout the day where I don't have to, I don't even have to do 10 minutes of meditation in the morning to be mindful and to be present because I used to do so much every day, all day to reprogram myself. But for anybody who's listening, whether you're seasoned or you're new, all you need is 10 minutes of doing this in the morning and it will change everything. And I like, and I'm sure you appreciate this. When, when you ask someone to do 10 minutes or you recommend 10 minutes, you start to see that whatever excuse you're making is just an excuse. And there's really no valid excuse to not take 10 minutes to observe your breathing and observe your body and not get lost in unhealthy thinking. And then I do three other quick things, which I recommend, which is I try to connect to something that I'm genuinely grateful for. Instead of just the cliche of making a list and trying to be grateful for everything, I just try and connect to one or a couple things that I genuinely feel grateful for, which for me typically are my bed, my coffee I'm about to have, maybe a hot shower, um, and that I, I, I typically get to this place where no matter what I'm concerned about, I get to this place of, oh, I'm actually okay, and I'm really grateful I'm okay. So I do that. So, one th so I recommend just one thing, even just one thing that you're genuinely thankful for. It doesn't matter how big it is. The next thing is I think about what I want, what I want to create. And then the third thing is I say a prayer for the people that I care about. So I think about my mother and my sister and family members. I think about people I know. And then sometimes it gets this momentum and it expands to the city I'm in, to the country, and even to the world. Just saying a prayer, sending good energy out to the people you love. And what this does is, so you start with the meditation. It calms, you, it calms your, your thinking mind. It helps you not be attached to your thoughts and the voices in your head. It helps you open to your heart, to the center of your being, to your energy. And then instead of being the victim of negative or habitual stress thinking, you're then consciously choosing to think about something that you're grateful for, which because of the law of attraction and the way our brains work, attracts and fires further things you're grateful for. And then the same thing happens when you think about something you want, like to have a good day, or to catch up with a friend, or to get to the gym, or to just feel peace today, 
that does the same thing in terms of the law of attraction, in terms of your thoughts and how your neurons fire, you then start to think about more things you want instead of thinking about things you don't want and all the things that are wrong. And then when you take that one last step further and you think about the people you love and you just say, you know, I want my family to be healthy and happy, it opens your heart and you are starting to be generous and of benefit and not just self-centered. And what that does is it opens you to receive more blessings. Well, I really, really think that's awesome, uh, an awesome way to start your day. And I want to thank you for sharing that. I want to ask you a question about bullying. Were you ever bullied or do you have a story you can share with us where, where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yeah, you know, Bruce, if I'm 100% honest, I was, I was bullied in my life. I was bullied by my older brother. I was bullied, I feel, by my parents. Um, even my, uh, I was raised by my stepfather and my mother primarily, but my biological father was physically abusive to me when I was young. And as a young, you know, as a child, I didn't have these tools to say no. I didn't have the tools to say, please stop. This doesn't feel good or to ask for help. And so because I didn't have the tools to express myself mindfully and stick up for myself, I allowed myself to get hurt and be in situations that were painful. And I think obviously as a child, you know, we, we don't want, there, you know, how much responsibility a child can take is limited. And that's a lot of pressure to put on a child. But I do believe on the healing journey, we need to get our thinking to a place where we learn how to take responsibility for everything. Because when you, in your psyche get to a place where you take responsibility for anything and everything, then there's no part of your psyche that can be a victim anymore. And that's really powerful to understand and to do. And so I, but I would have loved to have had those tools as a child to express my feelings, to say no, to stick up for myself, to ask for help. But then as I became a late teenager in my early twenties, learning about what I was feeling, learning about what I needed, learning about what I wanted, what felt good to me, and then learning how to give it a voice in a nonviolent, healthy way became a very powerful force for sticking up for myself and not allowing myself to be bullied by family members who were unconscious or people I was doing business with that were unconscious or even someone I was dating because sometimes, you know, these dynamics come out in dating. And it's not just men towards women. It can be women towards men because we think we can mistreat people and that that's okay. And I think, Bruce, I know we share these beliefs, you know, on the spiritual path and on the mindful path. You get to a point where the things that really matter the most are honesty and kindness. And so if it's not honest and it's not kind, it's not mindful. It's unconscious and it's destructive. Your website is unconditional-selflove.com. And the book we're talking about is You Were Not Born to Suffer. So Mindful Tribe, I really recommend the book. I enjoyed it immensely. And this is Blake D. Bauer, B-A-U-E-R. Blake, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? I would say Eckhart Tolle. 
and his book, The Power of Now. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Blake? It has helped me have a healthy relationship to my emotions in a way I never could. And for me, mindfulness helped me build the psychological strength and container to accept and process my emotions without judgment or overwhelm. And you've talked a lot about breathing already, but could you sum it up in a sentence or two how breathing can be so important to your life if you're seeking mindfulness? Well, I would say your breathing is the number one key to mindfulness, to accessing your capacity to create the life you want, to love wholeheartedly. It is the most important thing because it it literally is your life and it's how you grow your life, heal your life, expand your life, because as soon as you don't breathe, you're gone. You've mentioned a number of books. You've mentioned The Power of Now. Are there any other books that you would recommend which are related to mindfulness? I really loved the book Buddhism Without Beliefs by Stephen Batchelor. I highly recommend that for people because there are a lot of people who don't resonate with Buddhist concepts that are outdated or they believe kind of religious. But Buddhism Without Beliefs by Stephen Batchelor strips away all the religious connotation and just gives you the essence of of the wisdom. Fantastic. And I haven't read that one either. So I look forward to checking that out. Are there any apps you can share which can help with mindfulness, Blake? You know, I think that there are a lot of wonderful apps on the market. There are a lot that I have not tested out myself, but I know the Calm app is one that people really love. Um, Hay House, the publisher, puts out a lot of apps. And um, I I really am a fan of uh, Jerry and Esther Hicks and the teachings of the law of attraction. And, and they have an app that's really wonderful about um, learning how to guide your thinking. And it's a great app that you can set reminders to pop up on your phone every hour or two hours. And it's so much better to see that every hour than just see the news or just see Facebook. Um, so I really like those a lot. And I, a lot of people have a problem with the secret because they feel it's a little superficial but the, but the secret actually is very powerful in terms of the concept that your thoughts really are creating your reality in a lot of ways. And so Rhonda Byrne, The Secret, has an app that has 365 days of, of prompts that also give you notifications throughout the day. And I highly recommend that. I think in the world we live in today, it's great to support yourself in as many ways as you can. Yeah, I, I agree with you so much. And the, just like you say, the movie The Secret, it just has so much great content and ideas in there. And uh, now there's a movie called How Thoughts Become Things. And that's a powerful movie, too. And a lot of the people that were in The Secret are also in the new movie. So uh, that's something to keep on the lookout for as well. Blake, You've written a terrific book. You were not born to suffer. What are you working on now? Are you working on another book? What are some of your projects? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I am actually working on another book now. Um, I wasn't. I actually had had an interest in creative writing that I never allowed myself to explore. And on my healing journey, I realized that. And I actually started studying screenwriting um, and have some story ideas for some films actually to bring these concepts to younger people that won't um, uh, maybe pick up a nonfiction self-help book, but might get it through 
a movie that they go to see, just like Harry Potter or The Matrix or um, Hunger Games have these very important messages underneath the storyline. And um, I was working on that. And then out of nowhere, I was, I was introduced to a new agent for my next book. And it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. So it felt like life was saying it's time to, to work on the next book. And so I, I am doing that as well. Are you able to share even just a small glimpse into what your next book is covering? Yes. Well, it's just a continuation of where you were not born to suffer was coming from. And, you know, it's now been um, eight years since I first published the the first self-published edition of You Were Not Born to Suffer. And, you know, I've grown a lot in that time and I've taught to tens and tens of thousands of people since that time. And, and so this book will just be an expansion on how you create the healthiest relationship to yourself with your thoughts and your emotions as the foundation and precursor to having healthy relationships and healthy love. Well, I really appreciate the fact that you've focused your energy, challenged your energy into creating this book, which is a huge help. You were not born to suffer. It's a huge help for the world, and we really need this, I think, now more than ever. Blake, thank you so much for being on Mindfulness Mode today. Oh, Bruce, thanks so much for having me. It was so nice to talk to you. My pleasure. All the best to you, Blake. Thank you, and to you. Yeah, bye now. Thanks for listening to the show today, Mindful Tribe. Great to have you with us. Check out the show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And of course, we always appreciate reviews and and uh, just you sharing the information about Mindfulness Mode. And hey, if you're having any trouble sleeping, I have a free download for you. It's a meditation I've created and, you know, it'll help you fall asleep quicker. It'll help you enjoy a deeper sleep just go to mindfulnessmode.com forward slash sleep and oh hey guess what i also have a new sponsor for the show and it's the cascade hypnosis center with jessica flint she's been on the show i'm sure you've heard the episode And the Cascade Hypnosis Center is just great. If you have a mind block, if you're having trouble with an addiction of some kind, you just, or maybe you just can't seem to lose that weight that's so important to you to lose the weight. So many areas where if you can adjust your mindset, then you can move forward in a much better way and be happier and more content. So check out the CascadeHypnosisCenter.com and they spell center C-E-N-T-E-R, Cascade Hypnosis Center. Check it out. And uh, I'm just grateful for my new sponsor and excited because tomorrow I'm going to begin a two-week training because they train people like coaches and anyone interested in becoming a hypnotherapist they train how to do that with a certificate course in how to be a hypnotherapist so I'm excited about that and I really look forward to sharing my journey with you mindful tribe as I move forward to using hypnotherapy in my coaching so All the best to you. Take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.